Morning, everybody. Is that working? Yeah? Okay. Um, nice to see some more of you. I think 10 a.m. maybe was a bit ambitious for some. Um, so this morning, it's my uh, great pleasure to introduce Helen Toner. Helen Toner is a uh, senior research analyst at the Open Philanthropy Project. Her work focuses on policy, governance, and strategy issues related to progress in artificial intelligence. Uh, this is across domains including geopolitics, national security, public policy, and AI safety. Before joining Open Philanthropy, Helen studied chemical engineering and Arabic at the University of Melbourne. While studying, she led EA Melbourne, worked at a finance startup, Vesperum Capital, and interned at the Boston Consulting Group. So please join me in welcoming uh, Helen. Hi, my name is Helen. I work on policy and strategy at the Open Philanthropy Project. Uh, as you probably know, as well as work on criminal justice reform, farm animal welfare, funding scientific research, and, and some other things. Uh, potential risks from advanced artificial intelligence is a major focus of ours, which is why I'm going to talk about it today. So I'm going to talk through um, how we're thinking about this space, um, some of the things we've done so far, some of the things we think we've learned, and also close with some thoughts on how you can get involved in this area if, it's, if that's something that, that you're interested in. I'm going to assume that you're basically familiar with the Open Philanthropy Project, with the basic case for AI as an effective altruism cause area, um, but I'd be really happy to talk over any of the, the more basic aspects of this um, at office hours, if you'd like. So I'll be doing office hours at uh, 1 p.m. in the senior common room, so feel free to come and find me there. Um, just before I get started on, on, on these things, uh, I wanted to briefly touch on how I decided that artificial intelligence was what I wanted to focus on in my work. Um, I think it can sometimes seem like people in the EA community have always thought what they thought, um, but I, it seems valuable to me to tell stories of people changing their mind, because I think that does actually happen quite a lot, and I think it's a really, really important part of, of the effective altruism community. Uh, so my story is that I was at university, I was actually planning on a career in aid and development, and uh, then I came across effective altruism, I made friends with the, the two organizers of the EA Melbourne group, and they pretty soon started telling me about existential risk, artificial intelligence. I thought that they were firstly philosophically confused and secondly just over-enthusiastic science fiction nerds, and I told them so, um, which they took very well to their credit. Um, uh, but I didn't want to just dismiss them out of hand. I wanted to understand why they were wrong. So I read more moral philosophy than I had in my life, which wasn't hard because it had been zero up till that point. Um, and I, I spent months debating with them about history, ethics, epistemology, all kinds of things. Um, I don't want to rehash that whole discussion because it took several months, and I think there are better places for you to go and read about the basic case for thinking about existential risk or thinking of uh, artificial intelligence as an EA cause area. Um, but I thought it might be interesting to highlight a couple of ways um, of looking at it that were fairly important to me and that I, I don't see always see represented in other places. So uh, the first one of these is that looking back over history, it really seems like a small number of major transition points. So, for example, the agricultural revolution or the industrial revolution were, you know, had radically larger effects on how people live and on how civilization functions than on many of the smaller changes put together. And so... You know, one implication of this is that if it looks like something on the horizon might, you know, have a reasonable chance of being one of these major transitions, and it looks like there might be reasonable work that you can do uh, to make that transition go better for humanity, 
then uh, that could be a really valuable thing to work on, even without taking the existential risk angle into it. And the second thing uh, was just looking at how likely I thought you know, this whole space, artificial intelligence, machine learning, how likely that is to be a big deal compared to, you know, relative to other things, so relative to um, how, much, how much attention and resources it was getting, if you compare it to, you know, uh, other ways of, of doing good for the world, or if you compare it to the amount of resources going into straight-up AI research. Um, you know, the amount of time and thought going into how to make sure that AI is a good thing for humanity is, is comparatively tiny. Uh, and so I think that means that you can, and I can, think that it's a good idea for more attention to be being paid to this issue without thinking that it's the only topic that matters. All right, enough about me. On to open philanthropy. So uh, several of my colleagues at OpenPhil also do some work on AI. So Daniel Dewey is our program officer for, for AI, and he leads the technical side of things. Uh, Luke Mailhauser, Nick Beckstead, Holden Karnofsky, and I also all spend a significant chunk of our time on AI-related work. And the overall approach that we're taking to thinking about this space is uh, based around the idea that it looks pretty plausible that in the next 10 or 20 years, something that we call transformative AI will be developed, which is a term we use to mean an AI system or AI systems that uh, will have an effect on the world of roughly comparable magnitude to the Industrial Revolution. This is obviously a somewhat vague term, and there are a bunch of different things that you could imagine transformative AI looking like. Um, maybe it means that we figure out a way to do scientific R&D in an automated way, or maybe it means we have, you know, the advent of automated corporations, or maybe, you know, AI systems get really good at learning across many different domains and we see something like AGI. Um, uh, but, but so we, we frame our, you know, our, our work on this around the, the possibility that something of this, you know, level of importance might be developed in the next 10 or 20 years. And we think it's a long way from inevitable that that's the case. Um, uh, but we think it looks likely enough at this point. So, for example, we said in a blog post last year, it looks pretty safe to us to say there's a greater than 10% chance that something like this is developed in the next 20 years, so by 2036, um, 20 years from last year. Um, and we still see that as a reasonable estimate. And so we think that that's enough of a probability that someone should be thinking seriously about this, and we don't see many people doing that. So uh, I guess that's where we come in. So within that framing of uh, transformative AI, we tend to break it down into two main areas. Um, the first is on the, the technical side, so building AI systems that work as we intend them to, basically. So this means that they're aiming for the objective that we want them to aim for, they're reliable in different contexts, uh, they're controllable if something goes wrong, and, and properties like that. And we see a lot of disagreement among AI and machine learning researchers about exactly how hard this is likely to be, um, and how much extra research is likely to be needed to, to make this the case, over and above the amount of research that will be needed to build systems that work at all. Um, so we, uh, you know, we, we think it's valuable to be continuing those debates and continuing to try and get clarity on, on how difficult this will be and how much extra research will be needed, while also funding a variety of approaches to hopefully mean, you know, increase the probability that, that the systems that are built work really well. Uh, and then the second area is non-technical. So even if the systems do work exactly how you want them to, what happens then? Uh, if you, you know, uh, if you do have AI systems, machine learning systems that could create massive changes in the world, uh, you know, who should be able to use those systems? What should they be able to do with them? Who should they need to consult with first? Those kind of questions. And then in both of these areas, the common thread for us 
is that the main thing we're aiming to do at this point is to help build fields, to help set things up, uh, to improve the chances that the transition to a world that contains these kind of systems in it uh, you know, goes well. And so by building fields, I mean that we're aiming to support the development of the kind of ecosystems of people thinking about these topics and building on each other's work that you see in existing fields like particle physics or sociology or, or whatever. Uh, and so we think that this kind of field building work is something that philanthropists have a decent track record, record of, and so that's, that's part of why we think it's a good idea for, for it to be what we're focusing on. Um, and you do run into a kind of chicken and egg problem when you're doing this kind of field building. You know, does it make sense to start by funding senior people who can take more junior people under their wing, or should you start by funding the junior people who then go and find their, their you know, supervisors, um, or how does that work? And I'll, I'll get back to that chicken and egg problem a bit later in the talk. Okay, so... And what we've done so far, uh, on the deployment problem, which is the you know, policy or strategy side of things, I would say we're still at a pretty early stage of figuring out how we want to approach this space. We have made a few initial grants, including funding the Future of Humanity Institute at Oxford. Uh, and we've had some conversations with people in government, academia, think tanks, about how they're thinking about the space and, and how they want to approach it. I would say a big thing that we're learning is just that there's a huge number of potential questions and potential approaches to use in this space. And it obviously doesn't come for granted that people we're talking to share enough of our assumptions or values to land on the same questions that we think are most important, for example, the, the transformative AI framing. And it's also becoming really clear to us that there's no obvious sort of home field for this, for this work and where it should slot in. You know, is it technology policy? Is it international relations? Is it law? Is it cybersecurity? And so that also makes it hard to know where to target our conversations. Um, the grant that we've made in this space that I'm most excited about is to Professor Alan Dafoe, uh, who's an international politics professor at uh, Yale and at the Future of Humanity Institute at Oxford. And we're lucky enough to have him giving a talk right after this. So if you're interested in this side of the, of, of the AI space, uh, my main recommendation is to stick around and hear what he has to say on it. On the technical safety side, the thing we're most aiming to support right now is the development of a subfield of machine learning that is focused on safety. So two areas that we think are especially promising for this are firstly reward engineering. So basically figuring out how to convey to the machine what exactly you're hoping for in a way that conveys the, the nuance of what you want and doesn't let the machine, doesn't end up with the machine cheating or misunderstanding you in some important way. And then the second area is reliability. So building systems that will work in different contexts that won't malfunction in important situations or if they're put in a context that's very different to, to what they were trained on, that type of thing. I think our work on uh, starting to build this field is going pretty well. Um, our approach to solving the chicken and egg problem here has basically just been to fund everything at once that we can find um, that we think is great. So uh, we ran a, a closed request for proposals where we worked closely with professors at some top machine learning research groups to and, and AI research groups to uh, you know develop plans for them to do work on, on AI safety in their groups and, and uh, develop those plans so that it was work on AI safety that we were excited about. And that's resulted in grants to groups like Stuart Russell's Centre at Berkeley, uh, Joshua Bengio's group in Montreal, Percy Liang at Stanford, and Anka Dragan and uh, Sergey Levine at Berkeley. Um, and we also just on Friday closed applications for the first year of our fellowship, um, which we're running for machine learning PhD students, where we will fund top students who we think have good ideas to do work on safety. And through the fellowship, we'll also introduce them to each other, um, introduce them to the AI safety community, and start to build a network that way. 
Uh, we've also supported workshops at major machine learning conferences, as well as running a workshop of our own, um, which also helps to create these links between researchers and help them critique and build on each other's work, which we think is really important. And lastly, we've also made a few grants in this space that don't fit quite into these categories. So most notably, uh, the two would be a grant to the Machine Intelligence Research Institute in Berkeley, um, which is doing AI safety work, but within quite a different paradigm to the type of machine learning safety that I'm talking about here. And we also have a partnership with OpenAI, uh, where we're working closely with them to shape their work on, on safety and governance. In terms of things we've learned, I think the biggest thing on the technical safety side is, uh, which is not so much a new thing as something that has been really confirmed for us in, in how important it is, is that it's really important and helpful to have agendas of problems that people can work on. So an obvious example of this is the paper Concrete Problems in AI Safety, which came out in 2016 um, and was kind of a first real attempt to translate people's concerns about the longer-term longer, longer -term safety of AI into concrete and attackable machine learning research problems. So this one paper seems to have been really helpful in giving machine learning researchers the feeling that there are specific problems that they can work on and publish about in this space, rather than seeing it as kind of an amorphous blob of, uh, of you know, worries that people have that it's very difficult to, to tap into. Okay, so what does this mean for you? If you're interested in technical safety, uh, I think the most obvious path is to learn as much about machine learning as you can, um, which probably step one of that is, is to get a PhD. Um, Jan Leiker, who works on the, the AI safety team at DeepMind, gave a talk on this at uh, EA Global San Francisco, and I think uh, Owain and Vika also gave a talk about this yesterday, so one thing you could do is look up the recordings of those talks if you're interested in learning more about this path. I think a harder but even more valuable thing you can do on the, the technical side, um, which is related to what I was saying about the importance of having agendas that people have concrete problems people can work on. Um, so this, this harder thing would be to, to read as much as you can about current thinking on how to approach AI safety. Um, so this is including agendas from Miri, from Paul Cristiano, for, and Amodi et al. is the, this concrete problems in AI safety paper. Uh, and to you know, read those through, think about the problem yourself, um, really go, go deep and uh, come up with your own ideas about what you think the critical problems are going to be, uh, what people should work on when, and what concretely can be done. Um, if you're interested in the, the policy and strategy side of things, the deployment problem, um, the first thing I'd suggest is looking at Carrick Flynn's post on the EA forum. Um, the upshot of the, of the post is that uh, he thinks the main type of research that's, in this, that's needed in this space right now is what he calls disentanglement research, which is, again, kind of similar to what I was saying about the importance of agendas. So disentanglement research, so-called, is uh, you know, taking this big, messy, vague set of problems, you know, what might happen as more and more capable AI systems are developed, um, how should various actors respond to that, taking that big mess and trying to kind of slice it into more concrete and more manageable sub-areas. And I think this type of research is really difficult and there's a relatively small number of people who can do it. Um, so I think it's really worth giving a try at if you think you can do it. Um, that's fantastic. If uh, you think it's not so much your thing, I think another really valuable thing to be doing right now on this side is to be building up expertise and experience in areas related to, to, to AI policy um, so that you can be well established in, in one of those areas at a later time when uh, when, when the, you know, the other side of things is a little bit further along and, uh, and we have more of a sense of, of what kind of policies might be, might be valuable to push from, from various actors, which could include governments, AI companies, and, and others. 
Um, and I also think that if you're interested in the, the policy and strategy side of things, I do think it's really valuable to learn as much as you can about the current cutting edge of machine learning research so that you can you know, be as informed as possible about how the, the technology works. Okay, and then lastly, if you hear all this talk about AI and you think, oh, you know, maybe I should work on that, but I'm just really, really excited about this other thing, then I think, great, go do that instead. Um, I think as much as I personally think that AI is a, a hugely important topic, um, I even more strongly think that the best version of the EA community is going to involve, you know, a wide range of people with deep expertise on a wide range of topics. Uh, it's not going to involve everyone going after the same thing or um, everyone trying to stay broad so that they, they can keep their options open. So if some other topic has grabbed you, fantastic, I think do that. Uh, that's all I have to say. Um, I think we have a bit of time for questions. Um, I put up a few links that might be helpful if you want to read more, so feel free to photograph that slide if you like. Um, and uh, yeah, come, feel free to come find me at office hours, which is 1 p.m., I think, in the senior common room. Thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so you can still submit um, questions at london.eaglobal.org forward slash polls. Um, thanks very much, Helen. Um, so so you, you spoke about the different um, areas to, to work in um, AI, and specifically um, if you're sort of maybe at a younger point in your career when you can do a PhD, what about somebody who's perhaps sort of further along their career path? Yeah, I think it, I think it depends a little bit where you are in your career and, and what you have expertise in. Um, I do think there's... I do think AI will be relevant for a, a wide range of different, different fields. Um, so if you think there's potential overlap between the field that you're already in and AI, that could be a good angle to try and, try and pivot towards. So a great example is um, Alan Dafo, who's speaking next. Is, you know, his background is in international politics, um, which, you know, in fact, AI is going to have a lot of relevance to that. So he's you know, relatively later in his career, relative to you know, a sort of university student. Um, he's started to learn a lot about these issues and sort of switched his focus to that. Um, or I think if you're in a totally unrelated area and you really care about AI, you could consider a switch um, or, you know, kind of not per my, per my last comment about if you really care about something else, then it'd be inclined to do that as well. Or, or I guess donate, right? If you haven't got a realistic chance of maybe um, sort of making an impact, then maybe donate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, so do you have any thoughts about the role of communication and outreach for AI safety? When we talk to people about this, is there anything to emphasize or de-emphasize? Strategically, where do we want the public to be? Yeah, I have lots of thoughts about this. I would be, again, happy to chat more at office hours. I think one really big thing is to um, be aware of this dynamic that's gone on where, um, you know, the media likes to get clicks. That's their whole, that's their, that's their whole thing. And so um, we've seen this whole wave of articles talking about AI risk in terms of the Terminator um, and in terms of robots with guns deciding that they hate humanity because they're evil and coming to kill everyone. Um, so I think one thing to be really aware of when you're communicating about this topic to people who haven't um, heard much about it before is that their mind is immediately going to go to that because that's the story that people have pushed. Um, so I think it's important to uh, kind of... I often take the approach of explicitly saying that's not what I mean because it means that it sort of preempts the issue. Um, uh, and, and so I think it's important to be able to disambiguate... Um, the types of concerns that, that AI researchers actually have from this concern that the robots are going to wake up and come and kill everyone. So that's, you know, that's where we talk about um, you know, badly specified objective functions, um, you know, robustness, reliability, that kind of thing, uh, which, is, which is more the sort of technical concern rather than angry robots with guns.
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so what single effort would you recommend a UK Member of Parliament to undertake uh, right now to affect change on this issue? Uh, gosh. Uh, if you just give the solution, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Figured it out, you guys. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm really, I'm really not sure. I do think that um, that uh, on on the when, you know when thinking about the the kind of questions that spring from what happens if transformative AI of some kind is developed in the next next little while, I do think that we're at kind of a pre-paradigmatic stage of things where we really don't have very concrete. Um, where you know by we I mean the sort of whole EA community and the whole community of people thinking about these these issues don't really have very concrete suggestions for for things that we should do at this point. Um, so I think I'm going to stick with the very unsatisfying answer of I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> seems fair. Um, so it's one thing to say do a PhD, but there's no way to ensure one does tech AI safety work. It seems to be restricted to top uh, university PhDs, especially in reinforcement learning or inverse RL. What can be done to expand the pool of talent? Yeah, so open philanthropy, we're definitely trying very hard to expand the number of places where you can do this kind of work. Um, and we do definitely hope... Um, we, yeah, we think that our efforts, along with the efforts of others, certainly um, have already helped to make this, make you know, technical AI safety work something that you know is a legitimate thing to talk about at all. Um, and we definitely hope to expand that in the future. Um, I do think that, and this is something that that Jan Leica said in his talk at EA Global San Francisco. Um, I do think that as you're getting started out, if you're interested in doing this machine learning side of AI safety, it's probably more important to get really, really good at machine learning and become a really, really talented machine learning researcher. That's probably more important than trying to work on safety as soon as you can. Um, so yeah. I think it's not necessarily a problem if you, you know, if you get into a program that doesn't have an established you know, AI safety professor who you can go and talk to. Um, I think that's totally fine, and you should just try and try and learn as much about machine learning as you can. And then, you know, while you're doing that, sort of as I mentioned, be thinking about what kind of research do you think could be helpful on these issues, and keeping up with the the other AI safety research that is going on. And then, at some point, either maybe the university you're at will start start to think about these issues, or you can switch to another university or to somewhere like DeepMind or OpenAI, who both have active safety, active and growing safety teams. Um, so how would you evaluate the MIRI approach to AI safety compared with a more machine learning based approach? Yeah, so this is a very difficult question to answer briefly. Um, I think one thing I would point to is um, my colleague Daniel Dewey, who, as I said, um, leads our work on the technical side of things. He wrote a long post on the EA forum um, about his thinking on, on MIRI's work. Um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's really hard to say. I think people, people disagree a lot. Um, I think, you know, as I said, we're at the point right now where we are interested in funding different approaches, you know, from different angles, um, from many different people who we think are, you know, smart and thoughtful on these issues. And I certainly think that we, that Miri falls into that, that bucket. Um, yeah, that's a, a longer conversation. Happy to go into it at office hours. Okay, great. Um, thanks very much, Helen. Could you join me in thanking Helen for her time? Thank you.